Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come, fill this room, fill our hearts, open our minds, open our hands as we open up your word together this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are in week two of uh, a series called Entrusted. Entrusted. And last week we kicked it off and we talked about how everything we have has been entrusted to us by God. Everything we have. And we talked about how that means two big things. Number one, we aren't the owner of any of our stuff. God is. He's simply given it to us for a limited time period to manage it. And number two, we talked about how if something has been entrusted to us by God, we should manage it according to His will and His ways. And this morning and and next week, we're going to talk about uh, how to manage some different things, God's will and God's ways, um, so that we can be good and faithful stewards of everything He's entrusted us. And this morning, uh, I want us to talk about our financial resources, our money that God has entrusted to us. And I know, uh, especially maybe, maybe you're new here, you're new to church, you, you think, okay, God and money in the same sentence, you start getting a little nervous, right? You kind of like, you know, if you're on the live stream, you just exit out and go back to Amazon.com and start shopping. But like, I know that, that God and money can be complicated for a lot of people because, let's be honest, uh, a number of churches and, and preachers have swindled people and deceived people out of lots of money for ungodly reasons. And so it can be understood why there's some discomfort with God and money. And you might think, you know, okay, we're going to hear about what God, God wants from us. And, you know, I don't feel like I have much already. And this is just going to make me feel even more complicated. But what, what we're going to do this morning as we look through scripture is, is we're going to look and what I hope you'll see, we'll see together is that, that yes, God wants some things from us, but more than what God wants from us, there are some things that God wants for us. And when it comes to managing our money God's ways, when we, when we do that, what we experience is less stress, less anxiety, less worry, and more joy and more contentment. And so this morning, as, as we look together at, at Scripture, I want to do something a little different than I normally do. We're going to look at, at three different people together. We're going to look at one person in the Bible uh, who is pointed out as an example of what not to do with our money. We're going to look at a second person in Scripture as an example of what to do with our money. And then third, we're going to look at a historical example uh, of someone who managed their money God's ways as we kind of dive into this topic together. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, starting out. And the first person I want to introduce you to doesn't really have a name. Uh, they're just commonly known as the rich fool, okay? That's their nickname. That's their nickname in Scripture. And Jesus is the one who introduces us to this man known as the, the rich fool. And if you haven't, haven't ever read through the Gospels, uh, especially in one sitting, you really notice it, what you'll find is that Jesus actually talked a lot about money. He talked a lot about our resources, our stuff, and, and what we're to do and not to do with it, especially in his parables. And the reason Jesus did this is because he knew that, that what we do with our money has a powerful effect on our lives. It can lead us closer to God and other people, or it can lead us away from God and other people. And so in, in Luke chapter 12, the crowds are beginning to uh, expand 
opposition is starting to come against Jesus. And then beginning in verse 13, one day, uh, this guy out of nowhere, he shouts at Jesus and he says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, I want you to just pause right here and imagine you have one thing you can say to Jesus. You ever thought about this, what you would say to Jesus if you had like one question or one statement you could say to him? This, guys, was this. Tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. He doesn't ask Jesus, hey, you know what? What should I do with the inheritance? Teach me some wisdom about money. He doesn't ask for Jesus' advice. Instead, he just tells Jesus what to do, okay? Don't be like this guy. This guy says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus concludes it this way. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now, when you read this at first, you're thinking, okay, this guy's like, you know, typical American. Like, okay, he's working hard, trying to do what's right. He has a great, great harvest, right? That's good. And so he says, look, I need to store the stuff. You know, he doesn't want it to go to waste. So he's building the bigger barns and he's, he's storing it maybe for, for later. And you think, okay, well, so far, like this guy seems actually not like a fool, but he seems kind of wise with, with how he's managing stuff. But, but what happens is at the end of the parable, Jesus reveals to us why he's a fool. And he's a fool, not as much because of what he's thinking about, but more so of, of, of things he's not thinking about. And I don't know if you noticed in this guy's line of thinking as he's receiving all these crops and planning for the future, you know, there's two big things missing in all of his thoughts and all of his actions. And the first is God, and the second is other people. If you look at the parable, the word I shows up six times. And he keeps on saying, my, my, my. This guy is concerned with his stuff, his future, his crops, his life of eating, drinking, and being merry. And he never mentions God in any of his plans or takes God into account. And he certainly doesn't take into account other people who may be around him, who may be in need, who may be hungry, who may need food as well. Instead, this guy is focused on him Self. And I think Jesus is pointing out something significant here as he points to this man who is gripped by greed. And he's pointing us to the fact that greed always turns us inward and leads us to focus on ourselves. Greed always leads us to turn inward and focus on ourselves. And as we look at this man who is an example of, of greed, I mean, I think a lot of us, like, when we think of greed, we, we think of other people. Maybe you think of, like, your boss at work who gets paid, you know, a thousand times you do. 
Maybe, maybe you think about people who do like five-minute vacations in space, and you're like, okay, that's kind of greedy. Or like, you always think about other people, but rarely do we think about ourselves as being affected or infected by greed. I mean, we think about a lot of sins we struggle with. Greed is not usually one people think about and identify in their hearts. And Tim Keller, who was pastor many years of a mega church in New York City, ministry of over 35 years. I love what he said. He said this in one of his books. I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I can't recall anyone ever coming to me saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and people around me. 35 years, 5,000 plus people in this church, nobody ever said, hey, you know, I'm struggling with, with greed. And I think that's because it's so easy for us to justify, self-justify what we do with our money and say, you know what, I need this, or you know what, this, I'm just being, being wise. Or, or like, it's easy to, to focus on ourselves and think what we're doing is okay, which is why we need to listen to these words of Jesus who says, watch out. And I don't know if you know in the Greek, what the word watch out means when Jesus is saying it here. It means watch out, okay? Jesus is saying watch out. And when Jesus says watch out, we need to listen. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And so the one who has entrusted everything to us says, hey, look, with all of these things I've entrusted you, don't be gripped by greed in your heart like this guy. He gives us this negative example. But then, then as we continue in Scripture, Jesus gives us a, a more positive example of what to do with our money. And the positive example is maybe, maybe somebody you're familiar with. Uh, she doesn't exactly have a name in Scripture either, and Jesus points her out to us. She's simply known as the poor widow. Uh, which is a bit of a, a redundant statement because widows in this day and age were pretty much always poor. They didn't have a lot of ways to earn money. They didn't have people to provide for them. And so they really needed other people to help them out. And so if we move from Luke chapter 12 and jump over to Mark chapter 12, in verse 41, we find after Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are going around in all these flashy clothing and, and flowy robes, we read this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And there were, there were trumpet-like receptacles there at the front of the temple. And so people are putting in their money. And Jesus says, many rich, well, not Jesus, but many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came, and she put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. And Jesus saw this. And then he called his disciples over to him, and he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So you have the guy who's gripped by greed. 
And then you have this poor widow who displays this extravagant generosity. And Jesus lifts her up as an example for us. And, and one of the things we see in this story is if we look at the other guy and how his greed turned him inward upon himself, one of the things generosity does is generosity doesn't turn us inward upon ourselves. When we're generous, we actually move outward towards God and towards other people. And if you think about all these boxes up here this morning, people have donated their time, their financial resources. When we could have bought more stuff for ourselves, people have put it to go to this mission to share God with children all around the world, to help these kids in need. Generosity moves us beyond ourselves and towards other people. And What's interesting in this story, I mean, and which I think sometimes is just wild to think about, is that Jesus says that this woman gave more than everyone else when everyone else is thinking she gave pretty much nothing. I mean, a lot of people, if they saw her put it in, they're like, why are you wasting your, your two cents? It's not going to help. It's not going to help keep the lights on. It's not going to do anything important. It's not going to make an impact. Who cares? Just keep it for yourself. That's probably what people were, were thinking because that's how we think in this world. But Jesus, he says, no, actually, she gave more than the people who gave thousands. She had a heart of generosity. And Jesus is pointing us to an important spiritual principle here, and that is that the amount of what we give isn't as important as the attitude of our hearts. The amount of what we give isn't as important as the attitude of our hearts. And when we look elsewhere in Scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount and other places, Jesus says also the attitude of our hearts is shaped by the actions we take with our money. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so he says this giving and this generosity, it's a matter of the heart. And when we give, it shapes our hearts. And he says, be like this woman, this woman who gave all that she had. And when I think about generosity, I think about a, a game my mom and I used to play growing up. I don't know if you ever, never kind of did this, but whenever we were, we were traveling uh, on the interstate and we saw that the lottery was over $100 million, that's the only time my family played the lottery when I was growing up. If it was over $100 million, we would say, you know what, let's stop at the gas station, let's get a ticket. Because that's when our odds of winning were astronomically low, but we always said, you know what, it'd be fun to have $100 million or more. And so on road trips, my mom and I, we would, we would just talk about when I was young, like, you know, man, if we won this money, what would we do with it? You ever thought about that? What you would do with money if you won the lottery? And I would say, mom, if I won $100 million, I'd give you and dad a million. I'd have 99 million for myself. <laughs> and I'll be generous, right? I'm going to be generous to them. And I'll say I'd give my grandparents a million and maybe my brothers half a million each, you know. Then I would think, okay, you know, all right, I need to, I think I need to be generous. So I think, okay, my, my church had such an impact on me growing up. Like maybe I'd give them 10 million. Just help them move into the future places that were important to me. Okay, Salem camp meeting, that was important. I'd give them a little money or think about, you know, hearing recently that there are people in villages around the world who don't have access to clean drinking water and it's constantly making people sick and killing people and leading to 
the deaths of children. So I'd say, okay, you know, I'd fund, I'd fund some wells around the world. And my mom, she would come up with her own list. And it was, it's fun to think about that. And of course, we never won. So we weren't able to see what happens. But, but I can tell you what happens when most people win the lottery. When people win the lottery, usually they continue on the same trajectory they were before they won the lottery. And so, if they were used to spending most of their money on themselves, guess where the money stays? With themselves. If they were generous before, and they were giving to other people and churches and institutions and and helping out, guess what? When they win the lottery, they continue to do that. Usually, it simply just reveals people's priorities and their patterns of how they were living before they won that much money and they came into it. And so what I think is important to see here is that, that a lot of times we think, okay, you know, if I just had more, then I would be generous. If I just had more, then I would give to these causes that, that I'm really passionate about and that God has put on my heart. But what I want you to see is that, that generosity is to start small. We can be generous with what we have right now, like this widow, And as we're generous, our our giving, it kind of grows with us. As we're generous with a little, what what happens is we begin to experience, wow, there is a joy with generosity. When I'm able to help somebody out, when I'm able to, to see kids come to know Jesus Christ through my efforts, right? There is a joy that comes with that. When we are generous and when we're living that way, even when we don't have a lot, we realize, okay, wow, I can trust God. I can trust God with my finances. I can trust God with my life. And so our faith grows. And then as we're we're generous, even when we feel like, especially when we feel like we don't have a lot of extra, what we realize is, well, I can be content even when I give some of it away. Because contentment doesn't come from all of my stuff or all of my possessions or how much is in my bank account. Contentment comes from Jesus Christ and listening to what he says, and letting him be the Lord and leader of my life. You see, when it comes to giving, and what the scripture teaches about it, you know, it's not that God wants us to have less. The reason God God tells us what to do with our money, and the reason we're to manage it his will and his way, isn't so that we can have less, it's so that we can experience him more. It's so that we can experience him more, and that brings us to the third person I want to I want to talk with you about this morning. And that's a man named John Wesley. And uh, you may not be familiar with John Wesley. You may be familiar with him. He, he lived in 18th century England. He was the founder of the Methodist Church, the Methodist movement that now counts millions of, of people as members of the denomination. We are a United Methodist Church, part of that, that legacy. And John Wesley, he grew up, he grew up very poor. He had many siblings, and he had a father who was a pastor who owed a lot of debtors money, and so he was in and out of debtors' prison in England. And when John Wesley felt called into the ministry, maybe uh, he went and taught at Oxford because he wanted a little more money than than he had growing up. So he went, and he began teaching at Oxford and gathering together with other people of, of faith. And he found, you know, wow, like for the first time in his life, he had some money. You know, you remember those days? You got your first paycheck, and you're like, okay. He's single. He's a bachelor. He's making a salary you know, about 28 pounds, a great British currency, you know, feeling pretty, pretty good for himself. So he was living comfortably, had his own place. And one day he had just gone and he had bought some stuff to put on his walls to kind of decorate. 
And there's a story he shares, and he says this is when things kind of began to change for him. He was, he was going back to his place. It was a cold winter day. He had just purchased this stuff for his house, and there was this woman who's kind of huddled over in the freezing cold, and she didn't have a jacket. And she said, sir, do you have some money that you could spare so that I could get some clothing to survive this cold weather? And he looked in his pockets, and he he realized he didn't have it. He didn't have any money to spare, but he remembered, oh, yeah, it's because he just bought this stuff to decorate his home with. And he said in that moment, he felt like God was saying to him, have you been a good and faithful servant and steward of what I've entrusted to you? And he realized the answer was no. And so he began to change things. He, he began to, to calculate what he needed to live on. And he realized that was about 28 pounds a year. And so... He said, anything above that, I'm going to give away. So next year, he makes 30 pounds. He gives away two pounds. The next year, he makes 90 pounds. He gives away more. Eventually, his salary at some times was over 1,400 pounds as he sold books and resources, and he still lived on the same 28 pounds and gave the rest of it away. Throughout his life, he raised his standard of giving, not his standard of living. He continued to give money away, and then he went around, and as he was, he was sharing with people about Jesus and making Jesus Lord of their lives, he said, you know what? Jesus cares about what you do with your money because he knows it has a powerful effect on us and our relationship with him. And so he went around teaching the Methodists three principles about their money. It's in one of his more famous sermons, and as a good Methodist preacher, I thought I'd share them with you today. And the first one is this. He would go around and he would tell people, you need to earn all that you can. Earn all you can. Now, if you grew up in a church, that might feel a little uncomfortable to you because some people in church learned that money is the root of all evil. I don't know if you ever heard, heard somebody quote that verse to you, money's the root of all evil, and maybe you felt like if you have money, that's bad, and it's like, you know, uncomfortable, and like you should be poor for, for, for Jesus. And look, some people are called to vows of poverty and very simple lifestyles, but maybe you, you grew up hearing money is bad. But, but if you look at the scripture, what you find is this. It doesn't say money is the root of evil. It says, 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, this this greedy love of money that turns us to focus inwardly upon ourselves. Yes, that is the root of all kinds of evil. And we could go around, and I'm sure we could share stories about how an inordinate love of money destroyed relationships in your family when somebody died and there was an inheritance. Or it affected your marriage, right? I mean, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but it's not money itself. Money, Wesley would say, actually can be an excellent gift from God. It can be a great tool in the hands of faithful stewards. Money helps feed those who are hungry. Money helps provide uh, gospel resources to children all around the world who are in physical need and spiritual need. Money can help fund wells for clean drinking water. 
money, when used well, managed God's will and God's way, like, like it can make a huge impact in people's lives. And so Wesley would say, hey, look, the first, first thing you need to do is earn all you can. So hey, don't be afraid to ask for a raise at work. If you feel like, you know what, you have gifts, you have skills that are going unused, hey, use those for the kingdom and it's okay to earn money. So that's the first thing he said. He said, earn all you can. But then he went on and he, he said, okay, after you earn all you can, then give all you, save all you can, sorry. Save all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can. And now this one, uh, here, he wasn't saying max out your 401k and like never give money away to anybody else. Just keep it all for yourself, okay? It's good to save. It's good to be wise with your finances to have a little cushion. But when Wesley was telling people to save all you can, really what he was encouraging people to do is to live a simple lifestyle. To live a simple lifestyle and to spend consciously on things and not to waste money on stuff you don't need. So he was Look, save all that you can by not buying junk you don't need. And look, in our world today, this is something I think we all need to hear, especially around the holiday season. Like, I don't know, parents, did you already get the Amazon catalog for kids? Did y'all know they send a catalog, Amazon does? They're going to get your kids one way or another, okay? You already got the catalogs coming. You know what? Our, our devices are manufactured so that they break and they're not repairable. Did you realize that? So that we buy more. And then there's all the stuff, you know, it comes up. We, we know we don't really need it, but like, you know, it's stuff we, we buy. And so what Wesley was saying here, he's like, hey, when you're making purchases, ask yourself, do I really need this? Do I really need this now? I was at the flea market yesterday. I go most Saturdays, but I was at the flea market yesterday and I was about to buy something and I thought, do I really need this? And will Emily be really mad at me if I come home with it? And the answer was no, I didn't really need it. And the second answer was yes, she will be upset if I come home with it. So I said, well, I could just hide it in the garage and then she wouldn't know. I said, no, 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 I don't need this, right? I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this now. Another question to ask when, when you're spending is, you know, will this product deliver on the promises it's making to me? A lot of people are selling us stuff now and they're saying, hey, this is going to give you peace. This is going to give you health. This is going to give you joy. And you know, you know from buying so much stuff over the years, none of this stuff delivers. So Wesley would say, spend consciously. Live a simple lifestyle. Save all that you can so that you can do the third thing. So that you can give all that you can. Wesley encouraged people, hey, give all that you can so that you can grow in grace, so that you can store up treasures in heaven, and so that you can reflect the generous heart of our God. You see, our God is a giving God. He has given us every good gift that we have in our lives. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by him, and the greatest gift he gave us was the gift of his one and only son, Jesus Christ laid down his very life for us so that we could experience true life, abundant life, and eternal life in the future. And when we give, when we are generous with our resources, what happens is we are a reflection 
of God's heart to the world. We are a reflection of God's heart. And the Proverbs tell us this is the wise thing to do. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 11. Those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When the Proverbs talk about honoring the Lord with the the first fruits, what they're talking about is this biblical idea that that back in the agrarian cultures, people would give the, the first fruits of their crops to God. It would be a tithe. The first 10% of, of what they grew, they would give to God. And then as time developed and they began having currency, people began to tithe their finances. They began to give 10% of what they had to God and to his kingdom work in the world through the temple and through other means. And I believe this is what, what God wants us to continue to do today. He, he wants us one Out of every $10, it's one, and here's nine. One out of every $10, 10% is what we see in Scripture. People giving to God. And the tithes and our offerings, like, this isn't like, okay, uh, we got to calculate it exactly. And like, you know, okay, then once we do that, then we're good. And then we can keep everything else for ourselves, right? Like, this is a, a tangible and finite response to the extravagant and generous love of God. And I, I would say, especially Wesley would say too, like, hey, this is a starting place. Yeah, start, work your way to the tithe, tithe, and then continue to give. Give all that you can. And the Proverbs and the Scriptures tell us that when you give, when you are generous, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And now let me say this, because a lot of people have messed it up in churches. Scripture in its entirety doesn't promise that you're going to be blessed with more money, that if you, if you put in a dollar, that it's going to double with $2 tomorrow, okay? I'm not making that promise to you. Scripture doesn't say you're going to be blessed automatically with more money or you're going to be blessed with perfect health or you're going to be blessed with all this worldly prosperity the way we often think about it. But the Scriptures do say we will be blessed. We will be blessed. We will experience more joy. We will experience more contentment. You may have heard, hey, you know what? 90% in God's hands is more than 100% in our own people. I can give you testimonies of people who will declare that is true and I know it's true in my own life. You will grow in faith. You will be blessed with greater trust in God. As you say, God, I'm gonna gonna trust you with my financial resources and then what you discover is that he is faithful and his word is true and your, your heart will grow in obedience and love to him. You will be blessed in many, many ways. So Wesley said, earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all that you can. And he went around declaring that because he knew the blessings for himself. And a couple years before his death, he was reflecting on his ministry. And by this point, Methodism had had jumped the ocean and it was taking root in America. And I don't know if you know this, in Georgia, there's more Methodist churches than post offices today. 
Because in those early days, people were fired up for the gospel. They were sharing the good news of Jesus all over on the frontier. And as Wesley saw everything that was happening and looked back on his ministry, he reflected back on his teachings on money. And he said, you know, a lot of people listen to the first principle I gave. He said, a lot of people have earned all they can. A lot fewer people have saved all that they could. And he said, you know what, looking back, not a lot of people have given all they can. And it made him kind of sad because he knew the blessings for himself. He wanted other people to experience those blessings. And he was someone who walked the walk, who talked the talk. When he died, people estimated that throughout his life, he had made more than 14,000 pounds. He was a great publisher of books. When he was on his deathbed and they went through his estate afterwards, they found just a few coins in his pockets. He had given everything else away. And his inheritance that he left was millions of people who under his ministry and the ministry of preachers he trained came to know Jesus Christ in countless churches around the world today. And I've never heard an old person say to me, you know, I regret, I regret all this giving I've done to the kingdom of God. Never heard an old person say that to me. Instead, what I usually hear as people enter the second half of life is they say, you know, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have been generous when I felt like I didn't have a lot to be generous with. Because they know the blessings, they're experiencing the blessings, and we want you to experience them as well. As we listen to what God wants us to do with our money and we obey Him. So, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? God, we confess that these are difficult teachings. It's difficult to to think about our money and our resources because some of us, God, we're, we're living at the edge. We're in debt. And we feel like we don't have much at all to give. God, others of us, we, we, have, we have been using our, our money in our own way for so long that, that the idea of, of doing something different and listening to you is, is scary God, others of us, we, we just recognize like in our hearts a lot of times we are, we're focused on ourselves. So God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask, would you, would you help us listen to you? Would you help us trust you with all that you've entrusted to us? Would you give us faith to live generously like that poor widow. To put you first in our lives. And God, as we do, would would you help us experience all that you have for us? Would you help us experience the glorious truth that life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions, but that life, true life, is found in you and trusting you and obeying you. God, we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave his very life 
for us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing as we worship together?